Can I say something? Like, it's easy for us to say, like, hey, you know, I need to love the Palestinian folk. Yeah, that's true. You need to love the Jews. You do. But you know what? I think we'd be doing good if we loved the people living in our own house. Because I know what you know, and we don't like to talk about it, especially in church. But there are some days when I'm in my living room, I feel the love, and there are some days I don't. And so real people of faith, real people who are obedient to the master will say this, I will love you even when I don't feel like it. I will love you even when you leave your shoes and earrings laying all over the house. I will still love you when you don't shut the cabinet doors and you leave dirty plates in the sink. I'm going to love you anyway. That's good preaching right there. Real love is I keep my oath to you when you're in the house and I keep it when you're not in the house. David said, I've made a covenant with my eyes and set a guard on my mouth. When you really love somebody, you make a covenant with your eyes and you say, I won't look at that even when she's not around. (laughs) Real covenant. Oh, I'm preaching so good. Real covenant, real love says I put a guard on my mouth that I won't talk about her even when she's not around. Now, I think if we start right there, that's when we become people of faith and the world looks and says, see, look how they love each other. How we love them that don't believe is a measurement for the strength of our faith. If the current culture has perverted a generation, then relevancy and truthfulness are the same thing. What did Peter say? Be saved from this perverted generation. So I have augmented his words to come in line with what I believe he's saying. Because people will go where they're led. The plan and the stratagem of the enemy is to pervert us, to twist us and break us down into less than what we're supposed to be. And so when you look out at the world, you can't point your finger and curse it and then ask God to save it because he said, I'll bless what you bless and I'll curse what you curse. So when you see something that's perverted, what do people in the world say? What do people of faith say? We're going to love you. That thing that you've given yourself to is wrong and wicked, and it's going to kill you if you don't stop it. But you, I bless you. You may be trapped in sin, but I'll point at you and say, but I bless you. Because God will bless you if I bless you. So if I want to be relevant to a culture that is trapped in perversion, what do I do? Speak the truth. And so I need to say something to the church that what makes us relevant is not how hip the preacher dresses. It's not how trendy the worship team looks and it's not how expensive our AVL setup is. It's not how convenient is the length of the service, bless God. That's not what makes us relevant. What makes us relevant is will we be people of truth and love that I'll look at you and say sin is sin, and if you keep playing with it and laying with it, that thing will kill you, and I love you enough to tell you the truth so much so that I'll get down in the mud hole with you and say, come out of that in the name of Jesus. Because I want to be relevant, I'll be truthful but I won't curse you. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. Be angry, 
And sin not. You can be angry at what wickedness has done in the world, but don't sin against your brother by condemning them. You can speak the truth to people in your family and people that are in your life. You can speak the truth, but you can do it in love. A man named Les Bowen, who I admire very, very much, says it very simply like this. You can be clear and kind. That's the ultimate relevancy. So here's a question that we must ask ourselves. Am I offended by the truth? The preacher has to ask himself. You've got to ask yourself. Am I offended by the truth? Not just the doctrinal truth of the scripture about what's sin and what's not sin. Am I offended when my wife tells me the truth? Am I offended when the boss tells me the truth? Am I offended when my coworkers or my cousins tell me the truth? We say be honest with me until somebody is. Do I receive truth or do I fight against it? Because sometimes somebody will tell you the truth and you start going, well, but now what you don't know is, well, you at, did you ask or didn't you? Are we offended by truth? If I am, what should I do? Repent quickly. Lord, I see, I see where I'm easily offended in certain areas. Lord, forgive me for trying to protect myself constantly to prove that I'm good enough. Lord, your word says that you are the glory and lifter of my head, that you are the shield around me, that your name is a strong tower. I don't have to defend myself. Lord, you said you'd do it for me. So Lord, I'm gonna embrace truth for my life and put the results in your hands. Point number two, 3,000 were added to their number in one day. When the Spirit starts moving, multiplication happens. There were 120 in the upper room, and in one day there was 3,000. Speaking for pastors, that's the kind of math that we like. The preachers, we like to preach right there because we love that one. But as I began thinking about that, here's what that means. That if we're going to have a move of the Spirit, we're going to have to go without some things. Because when you go from 120 to 3,000, things change. How many married folk in here said, me and my wife was doing real great till that first baby came along? <laughs> then all of a sudden, some things had to change. All the men are like a rock, not moving. They ain't even breathing hard right now. But some things change when that first baby comes along. Before Sarah Kate came along, me and Holly, we was eating Italian food on Friday nights, looking longingly into each other's eyes, hands lingering upon each other on the table. But when Sarah Kate came along, it was early to bed. You didn't know what you could endure, but guess what? You start going without sleep, you'll sacrifice about anything. How I many of you will testify and tell the truth and say, when them kids come along, some things had to change. I didn't care nothing about a career. 
Because we was living on love, wasn't we? My Lord, the mountains was beautiful and so was you. Then then babies come along and you start going, I need to make more money. I need a career. I need to start showing up on time and staying late and saving my money. Don't you know it's the same in the church? We, we imagine when 3,000 people come, everything gets better. But what happens when it gets harder? Because some things we have to go without are speaking only one language. Because in Jerusalem that day, the nations of the world were represented. English didn't even exist back then as far as I can tell. And so what happens if we all speak Hebrew or Aramaic, but now all of a sudden we got Greek and Roman, we have Arab and Armenian, we got people from all over, Syria, Lebanon, Africa. They ain't all speaking English, Jack. I'm going to preach all by myself anyway. I can't wait until we don't, we don't get to speak Spanish. I can't wait till we have to speak Spanish. I pray it every day, Lord, bring them, bring them, bring them. I can't wait till we're scrambling, saying we need somebody to speak Vietnamese. I can't get no help. I can't wait till we got to have some folk that speak Chinese and Farsi. Y'all feeling me? You can't speak only one language when the Holy Spirit starts multiplying you. You can't keep the same friend group. You can't keep being a spectator. You can't keep good news to yourself. Somebody's got to teach these 3,000 people. Who's going to tell them if we don't? When the Lord starts multiplying, you can't assume that somebody else is doing the praying. I'm going to hide behind my podium in case y'all start throwing rocks. Do you know what you have to start going without when the Holy Spirit starts multiplying? You have to start laying down comfort and selfishness and familiarity. Because when the Holy Spirit multiplies you from 120 to 3,000, you start to realize this. This ain't all about me. So do I want God to grow my church or do I want to stay comfortable? Are we as a congregation willing to make room for those who are unlike me? See, sometimes we say we want the nations of the world, but we want the nations to come here and be just like us. But when you say, I want the nations of the world, here's what you're saying for is, I'm going to make room for the nations of the world that we can get an American guy and a guy from Kenya and Burkina Faso and Congo and Nigeria, and we can put them all right beside each other because there's room for you to be Nigerian. There's room for you to be Vietnamese. There's room for you to be Nicaraguan. There's room for you to be Mexican. There's room for you to be a Georgian from Minnesota, Florida, New York, Texas. God bless the Texans. There's room. Hmm. Valuable questions. What happens if somebody invites me over to their house and instead of serving me a cheeseburger, 
They serve me couscous. If you don't, you'll be hungry. You feeling me? What happens instead of a cheeseburger, they feed me curry. Do we want the nations of the world to come to know Jesus or do we want to be comfortable? Hmm. Am I willing to serve those who are not like me? See, where I come from when I was growing up, everybody's what we called them one lever Democrats. That means what? They fill in the, the cards, Democrat, 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 and they pull the lever one time. Boop. Everybody Democrat, straight Democrat. Well, what happens when the Republican folk come along? And vice versa. So now Oklahoma, we, we Republican, statistically. Will I serve somebody who voted for Joe Biden? Do I care more about the kingdoms of the world or do I care about the kingdom of heaven? Because when you go from 120 to 3,000, we have to start laying down our preferences and be willing to serve someone who's not like me. And here I think is a question that perhaps sums the others up. Am I willing to become a producer instead of a consumer? 